This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This is episode 272. This is going to be our career mailbag episode, which is airing October 18th, 2022. Those of you who heard our few episodes before this know that Tranquility by Tuesday has been out for a week now. So thank you very much for everyone who got a copy of that. People have been sending me pictures, which is great. I love seeing it out in the wild. So thank you for that. We get a lot of great questions at Best of Both Worlds. And, you know, longtime listeners know we run one question a week as a segment. Um, But, you know, we get more than that. And we would love to do more of these mailbag episodes. So this one is going to be mostly career focused. Yes, we had enough of a buildup. And we realized that there is a theme to a lot of these questions. Maybe it's a timely thing because post-2020 and stuff, there's been a lot of flux, a lot of job openings, perhaps a lot of people reevaluating their priorities. So I'm excited for this episode. Yeah. Well, so let's go ahead and dive right in. So we don't have a process for doing this. I guess we'll just sort of alternate who reads them. And, uh, And so I can go ahead and read the first one. 
So this listener writes then that I used to be a working mom, but decided to stay home with my children last year. It's been over a year of this life change, and I'm thinking it's maybe not for me. My kids are now three 18 months and a baby due in a couple of months. So my question is, have either of you ever wished you had been a stay-at-home mom? Was it ever a question, or did you always know you wanted to continue working? Plus, any advice for someone in my situation now that you are past the very small child phase? So a note, she told us a little bit more about her career. She had been in accounting, but she thinks she wants to change careers because she says part of the reason I decided to come home was because I not only hated accounting, but she wasn't a big fan of her organization where she had been working either. So she's looking at getting back in the workforce, but is, of course, concerned about making enough to cover three kids in childcare, especially if she is switching careers. So, Sarah, any thoughts? Yeah, what an interesting question. I have to say that personally, I never had any wishes or plans to become a stay-at-home mom. I had had thoughts about being part-time or doing the kind of hybrid I'm doing right now. That had been a fantasy for a really long time, even pre-kids. But I never had fantasies of staying home for any extended period of time. And I don't know if that's because I chose a career in medicine and most people don't, you know, go through all of that training, although some do, but most don't and then and then opt out for a while. The other thing is, after having children, particularly when they were small, I had zero desire to be a stay-at-home mom. I mean, I recognize that saying that runs counter to some of our culture. Yes, these days are precious. Yes, my children are beautiful. No, I did not want to be home with them all day. So, you know, I'm giving you permission that if you feel similarly, then that is okay. And I don't think either of us are terrible people. And I love my children. The irony is, well, not irony, that's the wrong use of the word, but my kids are older now. And us being a quote unquote stay-at-home mom, although they're in school for most of the day. So how much of that stay-at-home momming is really momming and how much of it is just me time is more debatable would be more appealing to me now just because I enjoy spending time more with like school age children than I do with toddlers. Again, I almost feel like there's something like, how could I admit such a thing? But there you go. (laughs) Yeah, I find that fascinating that you're like, well, of course, I love my children, but I didn't, you know, plan to stay home with them. Like, I can't imagine a man ever saying that. Like, of course, I love my children, but I'm I'm still working. Like people would be like, well, of course, like you're earning well, the money man to support would say, your family. Of course, I love my children, and I'm still working. There would be no but. Yes, there's no but. I mean, and, and there's nothing about like you loving your kids less or more because you do one thing or another. I think that's just an absolutely ridiculous framing. But I was actually, I enjoyed sort of reading where this question went as it kept going because it was like, I think what happens a lot with people opting out of the workforce. It is not so much the pull of home, although as we've said, kids are wonderful. I agree. But it's less that than it's that the push out of work. And for various reasons, people may wind up in careers they don't like. They may wind up in organizations that are not supportive in one way or another. And so it's not that, you know, it was that they inherently wanted to be home. It's just that women have a socially acceptable and in some cases rewarded, you know, choice when they don't like their career and they don't like their organization. They say like, oh, well, it's going to be best for me to be home for a few years with my kids. It was like, well, it's great to be home with your kids. It was also that, you know, we had this issue on the career side, not so much 
one being a, a better choice than the other. And I feel like more men would do that if it was socially acceptable for them to say, I want to come home because they hate their job and they can just expect that their spouse will, you know, pick it up to support them financially and and that everyone will say, oh, that's so great that you're doing it. Like, I think a ton more men would do it if that was, you know, remotely socially acceptable. I mean, we have stay-at-home dads who listen to this. We have people who listen to this who have stay-at-home partners. It's just, they're still going against the grain to do it. And, and so they're making a very sort of different choice. And, and I've, I find that whole thing fascinating. Anyway, so in my case, I mean, what I, I love what I do. What I do is very flexible. So I don't feel like I've ever been having to make particularly harsh trade-offs. So yes, it's not something I've ever considered either. As for her, the advice for her situation, since she was in accounting, she has a couple choices here. I mean, one is that after she has the baby, if she wants to get a job a couple months after that as an accountant somewhere, there are a lot of places that need accountants. And she could totally find a job immediately with her level of experience and her skills in another organization that hopefully is much better. Right. So if she can identify that it was the organization that she really didn't like, she can walk into a job as soon as she wants. And then if, you know, she could pivot within that organization to something else, I'm sure they'd be happy to, you know, promote her into general management or whatever in a, in a year or two. So that, that's one option. If she wants to change careers entirely, I think you might want to give yourself more of a like 12 to 18 month time frame after you would be going back to work. So figure, you know, your baby is somewhere three to six months old from that point give yourself 12 to 18 months to kind of get back into it of figuring out what you're going to be doing to launching that to doing your job search and you know it's not a huge amount of time it, it, she's only been home full time for a year so we're talking you know she's going to have like two and a half three years out of the workforce it's really not that much and especially somebody with 10 years of experience and, and having these specialized skills but i think that would be more realistic I don't think it's going to be a problem for her to be able to cover the cost again if she goes into accounting. If she does not, then that's something you're going to have to sort of consider, like maybe doing part-time childcare until you get to that 12 to 18 month time. But we'll see. I wish her a lot of luck. And, and I, I think it's great that she's realized that she wants to do something different. We are all about you know choosing what goes well. I was just thinking about accounting, and while I'm certainly not an expert in that field, I can imagine that sort of like medicine, there's there's a lot of like opportunity to go lateral and still be an accountant, but do things very differently, work for different types of organizations. Maybe you end up training other, like, I think that she's selling herself short by being like, well, that didn't work, so I hated it, and that is a dead end. So hopefully a little career crafting might go a long way as well. All right, can I read the next one? Because yes. I like your answer. All right. Question two, how do you say no to opportunities that may be good for your career, but don't feel doable in your current life stage or just aren't objectively possible? So I have to admit that the phrasing of this question made me a little bit wary. So the question, of course, is how do you say no to opportunities? And I'm like, let's back up a little bit <laughs> before we get to the how to say no part. Why are we saying no, right? If the opportunity excites you, like, and make you like, ooh, I wonder, that would be interesting. I think we should explore it a little bit more before just saying it is not doable in my life stage. Because I think, again, women in particular tell ourselves a lot of stories, such as, if I have a family, I can't move, right? That's a big one. 
if I have a family, I can't be in management because it will require longer hours or I won't be able to work from home as often. Maybe that's one. If I take this promotion, that would be a problem because I plan to get pregnant in the next year. Like that's another one, right? There's all sorts of stories we tell ourselves. And I'm not sure any of those are actually true. What I've seen is often if men are given an opportunity that seems like a stretch that it will require something, they are often asking for more resources. So whether that means, you know, what would make it more doable on the work front? Do you need more team members, right? Do you need a bigger budget? Is that something you could negotiate? On the home front, what would make it more doable? Is it additional childcare? Have you talked to your partner about this? Because, you know, you don't know for sure what this person thinks. Maybe they want you to step it up so that they can step it down. Maybe they're not enjoying their career, like going back to our first question. So we just don't know until we have hashed it out. Now, all this saying, like, if it's absolutely, you're not excited about the opportunity, then by all means, a a gracious no. Um, The best way to do this is to recommend somebody else because that way you have not only solved your organization's problem, like ideally found somebody who is excited about it, you've also just like gotten somebody else to now be somewhat indebted to you because you've recommended them. So that's my answer there. That reminds me so much of our episode with Molly Beck, who actually went to a venture capitalist incubator program, and I think she'd either just had her second baby or first. Anyway, it didn't sound doable if you were just going to kind of look at what people, quote unquote, normally do, but she absolutely made it work. And it turned out to be a fantastic opportunity for herself, her company and her family, which has now kind of grown around as her career has grown. So that to me is just an example of one of those where maybe someone would have decided that that was objectively not, quote, you know, possible. But, you know, maybe it's not typical, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not possible. Just came to mind when we were talking about that. I don't have a lot of other things to add except that I feel like when you get opportunities like this, no is absolutely an okay answer, but it's worth the analysis. Like this is when you talk with your partner about life goals, you talk with your supervisor, you talk with a trusted colleague, you journal, you blog about it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) You know, you put out into the world like whether it would actually make sense. And then if the answer is no, I love Laura's idea of passing it on to a deserving colleague or somebody else because you know, that's just a wonderful way to help others. And who knows, things will come back to help you in the end as well. So love that. Excellent. All right. The next question, how do you celebrate a win? So this listener says she's just had a work win of sorts and wanted to celebrate, but I really have no good ideas and nothing I'm enthusiastic about. So I guess the champagne and nice meal or big purchase item isn't really doing it for her right now. She says, I'm in need of some fresh ideas as none of my fallbacks are doing the job. Ideally, I want something that will partially motivate me to keep up the momentum, but that might be asking too much. So Sarah, what do we do? This was just great timing because I literally was listening to a podcast episode from Michael Hyatt's podcast, which I think was called Lead to Win, but they're changing it to Business Accelerator. I don't know. But the topic was, and it was this morning, how to celebrate your wins and why it's important. And I was like, oh, perfect. And what they said is, you know, sometimes celebrating can be just, it doesn't have to be a tangible reward. It can be taking time to allow yourself to bask in those happy feelings 
and take stock of what you want to do next in a slow and thoughtful way rather than the mistake, which is like, oh, well, now I have to do X, Y, Z and jumping right into your next to-do list and like what isn't done. Just really like having the mental space to like think about what you've achieved. My own personal way of doing this tends to be to celebrate with others. I know you mentioned like a meal not being something you wanted to do necessarily. And it doesn't have to be a meal, but just like talking about it with Josh, like, oh, I'm so excited that like I'm moving on to my next step of the career. And let's like talk about what's fun about that. Or maybe taking your team out to lunch or some kind of celebratory event in order to kind of celebrate the milestone and also reward those who have helped you along the way because none of us do anything in a vacuum anyway. So there are probably others that have supported you and probably will celebrate you when the time comes as well. So those have been my ways. Oh, and also to to brag to my parents because I mean, even when you're 42, it can be really fun to tell your parents something cool that happened at work or that, you know, something's coming out there in the world with your name on it. Awesome. Yeah. I'm a big fan of taking mini vacations during the workday. Like this is a way to both reward yourself. I mean, not that you need to have done anything awesome to do this. Like feel free, anyone, even if you haven't had any recent work wins to take mini vacations during the day, especially if you have done, you know, extra hours in another place at some other point. But this might be as she's looking for motivation, this can often be helpful because it's something that does help boost your energy level to do something that would be hard to do outside of the workday. So especially, you know, as we're getting toward fall in many places, it's darker, uh, you know, colder outside the hour. So maybe if you go for a long walk or a hike or a run in the middle of the day, that's something that's harder to do after work or, you know, before work if you're getting kids off to school. But, you know, taking noon to two to go hike somewhere beautiful could be a great way to reward yourself. You know, you could go visit a museum, right? Take the hours of 12 to 2 to go visit a museum that's hours or 9 to 4. So you would like never actually be able to go to it otherwise. So do that, you know, go visit a cool boutique, have a friend meet you for a walk or for coffee or something like that. But just anything that would be, you know, a mini vacation during the work day, because that also like it gives you a break and helps boost your motivation for the future in addition to feeling celebratory. So let's take a quick ad break, and then we will be back with more from our career mailbag. All right, we are back, and I am going to read question number four. Any best practices on how to capitalize on a conference visit once it's over? For example, in the days after, reaching out to people you wanted to talk to but couldn't pencil in, time to relay learning with those colleagues who couldn't go, or catching up with others later to maintain the network. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I have to say is if you do anything, you will be ahead of about 90% of the people who go to any given conference. My general sense, and this is from speaking at you know a vast number of conferences in many, many different industries is a lot of people, the conference serves sort of a different function and and it's exciting and they get fired up while they're there, but there's not necessarily a whole lot that always happens afterwards. And I really wish there were, because I think people who do it really well do, in fact, make time afterwards. And one of the best things they do is to actually schedule time. Like when you're signing up for the conference, schedule time immediately afterward for the follow-up. So like, two hours on the workday you get back where you can email all the people you met at the conference that you actually liked, right? 
you can then also email the people who you didn't get to catch up with while they were there, but you heard they were in attendance. Be like, so sorry, I missed you. Let's connect. Just using the occasion when you're right back to cement those ties. I would also, if you have colleagues who didn't go, or even if you did, to set up some sort of like lunch and learn for like the Friday after you get back. So you know, the colleagues who didn't go will join you for lunch and you will give a presentation on what you took away from the conference. And it's not so much that they're going to take anything from it. I mean, great if they do, but it's that it will cement the learning for you because you're forced to take notes on what you're doing while you're at the conference and thinking about how would I present this to someone else. And just by doing that, you will feel far more accountable for the information you are getting simply because you, you are presenting it. And, you know, if you have colleagues who did go as well, like it's great to have a meeting a couple of days later, you know, have that Friday lunch and learn where you can all sit around and all share, you know, what was the best thing I learned? You know, what will I do different if we go to this conference again? You can all go around the table and, and have that. And that's just a great way to to do that. As for network maintenance, I mean, this is just something everyone should be doing in general, like reaching out to people regularly, you know, every couple months, um, anyone that you want to keep in your active network. So, you know, just fold these new people you met into that, that you email them a couple months later when you find something that's related to them. And then when the conference signups happen the next time, of course, that's an opportunity to reach out to and, you know, all those people you met say, hey, are you going again? We'd love to see you and, and so forth. I love it. I've definitely done that roundtable post-conference before, especially because we can't, as a team, all go to the same conference because someone has to be back there taking call and seeing the patient. So we usually kind of split half and half. And for that reason, you know, those who go to endocrine society will teach us about what happened there. And those of us who go to pediatric endocrine society, a separate meeting, by the way, can teach the endo society people what happened there. So you get double duty. Um, And I know this wasn't in the question. You asked specifically what you can do, and Laura answered it beautifully. But I also just want to be, I'm like the permission slip in this episode. It's okay to mostly just treat your conferences like fun and a break. I find that like when I go to conferences, I do learn things. Like I get up to date in certain things. But the biggest takeaway is often just being like excited when I go back to work and like more energized and happy that I've gotten to connect with other people who face some of the same challenges that I do. And like, it just makes me happy to go back to work. Not to mention the fact that I'm often rested because I got to sleep in my own room and nobody woke me up and I got to decide my own schedule. And so, I mean, if this is you, depending on what kind of career you have, you can also just appreciate the fact that the conference itself is going to have benefits, whether or not you, you know, put any specific efforts into post-conference activities. I know it helps me. I know I've greatly missed going to these kinds of conferences over the past couple of years, and I'm very excited to be back at them. Excellent. All right. The next question, um, I definitely want to hear Sarah's answer for this because I don't have a whole lot of experience on this one. Tips for managing shift work. So I suspect this person is in medicine and does 12-hour shifts three times a week. And she says that I am super tired on my first day off, whatever she has after the shift. But of course, if you're doing 12-hour shifts three times a week, a lot of your time is the first day off after the shift. So I think this listener would like to have more of a life despite this shift work. So Sarah. I think What do you recommend? I think, you know, I'm always proselytizing planning, but this is one of those instances where planning is just going to pay off so much. Not only planning what you'd like to do, because you're going to have a lot of free time, honestly. Yes, you're working very hard. 12-hour shifts are no joke. I've done them. They are, you come home and sometimes you just stagger home and (laughs) there's just not much you can do. Plus, if you have, you listen to this podcast, you, you may have kids. And so like you're then putting them to bed, like it's a lot. 
But it also means there's probably large swaths of the week that you have some free time, and I understand the instinct to want to use that well. You mentioned in your question stem that you're super tired on your first day off. Well, I think in your planning, and I think you should do some specific planning here about how you're going to use these days, you should make an entire day dedicated to low-energy activities and restorative activities. And again, I don't know how these shifts are laid out, but if you're working Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, then maybe like that Wednesday in between is just like chillax day and you are going to read light reading. You are going to make sure your partner helps you with bedtime. You're going to really think about ways that you can actively recover And you're going to think about how you're going to use those other days when you are more energized because you have purposely taken time to rest to do the other things that you want to do. I mean, I think back to my residency and it's a little difficult because I don't have the experience of being a resident with children, which as I've mentioned in other episodes is a whole other life ball game. But I had some pretty crazy weeks and what really helped me was having some fun, restful things to look forward to on my time off and thinking ahead about what I might do in stretches of time when I was not as tired and not working. So those are kind of my go-tos. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it really does depend what these shifts are. I mean, if somebody works seven to seven, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that's sort of a different ball game from seven to seven, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, because if it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and she's saying that she's tired her first day off, like she's tired the whole week. And then, then that's a whole different issue, you know, that, you know, might need to be addressed in some way or another. But if she's working like some overnight shifts, for instance, or if she's working like, you know, I don't know how her place does it, but if somebody was working like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. or even like something worse, 5 p.m. to, I don't know, it's just however it's being done. And if it's alternating too, that can, that can be really rough. And, and if it is alternating, I think you have to get a spreadsheet of the entire 168 hours, map in your work shifts, and then map in when you sleep. Because if it's not, you know, you're not sleeping from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. in a regular way, like you forget. And so then you've got something ridiculous, like you've worked 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And then you've got something you don't actually care about scheduled for 10 a.m. the next morning. It's like, don't do that to yourself, right? Like you, you need to block in where the sleep is if that is the case, if you've got these mixed shifts or or mostly night shifts or something like that. And then just, you know, echoing what Sarah said, plan in some things that you know you're going to look forward to. Plan in some energizing, fun things so you don't feel like you are just working off the exhaustion. And, you know, obviously 12 hours is a long time, but anything you can do to manage your energy during the shift, I think that that's, you know, consciously using any breaks you might have for something rejuvenating, that's always good uh, trying to eat healthfully. Like if you can map out what you're eating during your shift. So it's not all, you know, candy bars and coffee and leaving you feeling worse afterwards than before, even though it's, it's tempting in the moment. So yeah, ideas for that. Love it. All right. Number six, number one tip for managing direct reports. Yeah. So I, I thought it was funny. It's like, you know, those clickbait headlines, like there's this one weird trick for managing your director. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if there was something like if you wear red on your employee's first day, everything will be great. That's <laughs> but, it, Laura. You've discovered that's it. it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's it's not rocket science and everyone like knows this. It's just that you have to communicate a lot. And it seems so obvious, but people cannot read your mind. So if you want someone to do something, you need to tell them what to do. (laughs) And if they do it, and then you want them to do it differently, you need to tell them that. 
And then if they are doing a good job on something or doing better on something, make sure to tell them that too. And, you know, that's basically it, you know, but it's, it's so simple, but it honestly does matter a lot. Yes. Well, I think as Laura said, like there's not one thing. And I think not letting things fester has been a big one for me. So when you notice something coming up, bringing it up and being proactive about it sooner rather than waiting to see if it, you know, fixes itself and then being really exasperated when it doesn't. And then like being sad that you didn't address it earlier. I've learned from experience. It's better to just, you know, go to somebody early and talk about what might be going on or what could be done better or, you know, what they're thinking about something and making sure you hear their side as well, rather than just like deciding they're doing something wrong and they need to fix it. And just treating everyone with respect. Actually, that would probably be my number one tip. Just because someone is below you on a corporate hierarchy doesn't make them below you as a human in any way, shape or form. So making a genuine effort to be just as warm and polite with your intern as you would with the CEO will take you a long way. Exactly. All right. So suggestions on good leadership and management books, please. Sarah, what have you enjoyed reading? I haven't read that many. So I mean, I I have read Crucial Conversations by Carrie Patterson, and there were three other authors that were interesting. Um, I already gave a shout out to Michael Hyatt. I guess this is his day to shine. I enjoy his books as well, and there have been a number of them. Yeah, I guess you have more experience in this realm. I probably need to read more of these books. Well, I mean, the one issue is like they come out every couple days or more frequently. I mean, in the business press, like some random CEO like writes a book about, you know, whatever they did. And there's not a ton of them that stand the test of time. I think two that are just sort of interesting that I've I've read over the years. And I want to do a shout out just because they are written by women. I really enjoyed Tara Moore's Playing Big. And it came out several years ago. And it's not so much about leadership per se, but it's about sort of having a bigger mindset about what you can do and the different things and the impact you might have by kind of pushing yourself out there doing things that are a little bit more scary to you. And I think it had a lot of leadership implications, even if it's not, you know, like those horrible, like girl bossy type books. <laughs> that have been all over the place. In terms of just sheer practicality, I'd recommend Lindsay Pollock's Becoming the Boss. She's in the past written a lot for like millennial audiences, for instance. And so this book was aimed at sort of people who were taking their first management jobs. And it's a difficult transition to go from, you know, only dealing with yourself to like actually managing a team. And, And so there's a lot of practical tips in that book. So you might want to check that out as well. Love it. I may put both of those on my reading list. So that's excellent. All right. Question number eight, a fun one. What would be your dream job if you weren't doing what you're currently doing? Yeah, I don't think I would be particularly happy doing much else. I I, I guess, you know, it's, it's like if I was doing something else as a job, I'd be trying to do the stuff that I'm doing now on the side in the rest of my time. And, and so that's kind of like, well, then I clearly, this is what I should be doing full time with my time. And there's obviously tweaks to nobody's career is perfect. I would probably want to expand my writing scope, like to do some more fiction. I do want to do that over time. 
for those who watch the Tranquility by Tuesday videos, the in real life Tranquility by Tuesday in real life videos that I've been rolling out um, that as this episode comes out, several of them will already be out. I really enjoyed doing those videos as a project. And since I, you know, paid for the production, hired a production company and did it, it's obviously something I could do more of. Um, this is not reliant on anyone else to make it happen. And so I could do more of those and, you know, pivot into some more video with that. But those are, those are tweaks from my current job. They're not departures. So yeah, I, I can't really think of anything else I'd probably want to be doing. This was just such a fun one to think about. So thank you for submitting the question. I do feel like I've hit a sweet spot in what I'm currently doing, especially now I get to write, I get to speak, I get to see patients, I get to learn medicine, I get to work with colleagues. Like I love what I'm doing. But then I also reflected and I was like, I bet I would love a lot of stuff. I mean, as long as it's something where I get to be creative, I get to work with people. I probably could find some silver lining. I always have been interested in psychology, and I could imagine having gone that route probably would have been really fun for me, especially maybe something in like child psych because I like kids and teens. I have this also fantasy. My grandfather was like an advertising executive who wrote slogans and commercials and stuff, and I've always been like, the madman life. Like, how cool would that have been? Yeah, I guess it's not too late. Who knows? Um, (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I think there's lots of jobs that probably fit lots of people rather than like one magic fit. And I tell this to my residents because, you know, it's like everything seems so high stakes when you're choosing. But the truth is like, you know, you rule out what really doesn't fit you, which, you know, is plenty of stuff. But then there's probably a lot of things left over that are going to meet some of your needs. And then you can career craft and tweak and kind of get to your sweet spot. So really fun question. Thanks for letting us think about that. Excellent. And then we wanted to end this episode with an update from a listener. Sarah, do you want to read this one? Sure. I wanted to send an update. Can't believe it's been a year and a half. I am happy to report that I am in a great new role that is allowing me to work from home permanently and is a step up from where I was before. It is a whole... Sorry, I think we should back up. (laughs) What was the original? What was the original? We answered this question on the podcast. Sorry, I thought I was just... I'm in the reading questions mode right now. We had a question on the podcast about somebody who wasn't super happy. I think her particular organization was really not allowing her to be flexible. And we encouraged her to think outside the box and value herself and look for other options including a place that would let her, you know, work from home if that was something that she was interested in. And then we got this happy update. Okay, I won't read all that again, but she writes, I am happy to report I'm in a great new role that is allowing me to work from home permanently and is a step up from where I was before. It is a whole new challenge in a great way and has really invigorated my attitude and career. Your advice to simply make some phone calls and explore is exactly what I did. And I ended up getting my new role through one of those phone calls. Taking the pressure off and taking my time with some low-key phone calls was very educational, and it was great to reconnect with old friends and colleagues. I also wanted to mention that I worked with a therapist to help me get unstuck, and that was incredibly helpful to help me let go of my limiting beliefs. For example, I can't have an interesting job and care for my kids at the same time, among many others. That was a key piece in being really ready for a new challenge. I also think that limiting beliefs could be a great podcast episode. Well, we did kind of touch on those early in this episode, so maybe we'll have to go even deeper. So, oh my gosh, I this made me so happy. She said our podcast was inspirational and she offered us to share share in our episode which we're doing right now. And this is what makes this podcast so much fun. I love hearing these stories. It is. It's so true. And honestly, I think she just needed to hear from people that it's like you are allowed to make phone calls. Like 
you know, if you're not happy in your job, there is nothing that says that you need to stick with it. You don't have to. Like there's a million jobs out there. And yes, there may be bad issues in everyone, but if you're genuinely unhappy with something or there's something that's not challenging you, you, you can just see what's out there. There's no commitment or anything. You are just having conversations with people. So call people, you know, you know, reach out, have some more coffees. And, you know, lots of people are trying to hire these days. So it's not surprising that these conversations led to some opportunities that once she investigated seemed a lot better than what she was currently doing. So I'm really excited about that, too. And if anyone else is finding them in this situation or themselves in this situation, like, you know, I'm feeling stuck or like, yes, I hate my job and whatever X, Y, Z, but at least I can, you know, see my kids in the afternoon. Well, guess what? There are other jobs where you'll be able to see your kids in the afternoon too, and they might pay better. They might have more flexibility. They might be more exciting. You might like the people more. Like, you know, most people don't wind up absolutely optimizing their jobs. Like they are not in the, you know, the absolute perfect thing. I mean, Sarah and I just said we really like our jobs right now, but there's lots of things that can be improved. And so sometimes that can happen within your job. And sometimes it means trying somewhere else. And it's absolutely fine to do so then. Glad to hear that. So if anyone else has, you know, something, a move they've made after hearing some advice on this podcast, we would absolutely love to hear that. So please let us know. So our love of the week, I was going to do home office related stuff. I love being able to use my printer as a copier. (laughs) I mean, I know that sounds like, of course, like, why wouldn't it be able to do that? But I, I mean, they didn't, you know, for a while. And my phone as a scanner, which is another thing, like not having to deal with USB sticks, like going back and forth between like a scanner and then putting it on my computer. I mean, just being able to scan with your phone. I mean, how brilliant, like this is home office tech is just so much better than it used to be. And I mean, I was, we applied for two of the kids passports recently and you had to make copies of everything. And just being able to do it right there at my desk was so easy. Love it. Well, I will just piggyback on your love and say that I love using Apple notes to store scans that I might need to use multiple times. For example, my kids' medical forms, when I get that, I scan that straight in there because I know I'm going to need to send it to camp and to school and to this and to that. And like having it in one easy place where I don't have to search in my Gmail or in my scanning app is amazing. So love Apple Notes for a filing cabinet to dump PDFs and other graphics where you can find them easily. Yeah, well, that's a great tip right there, by the way, you know, just to save the medical forms somewhere that they can easily be uploaded and not have to go track them down every single time. All right. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds. This has been our career mailbag episode. We will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. 
Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.